1: Hey everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host from News Talk Florida, and the gang is back again, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Alan Steinberg in New York. We have John, Tom Jackson, and Joe Henderson down in the Tampa Bay area, and our guest today, talking about term limits, is from um, from the U.S. term limits. Uh, organization. He's the executive director, Nick Tombalidis Nick, a pleasure to have you with us today. Happy to be here with you guys, Jim. Let's talk a little bit about term limits. Uh, the reason that we are speaking today is because I wrote a column about term limits where uh, Nick and I had a little bit of a disagreement. Not that I don't think that term limits might not be a good idea. It's just that there are certain ways I saw that people were getting around the possibility of using term limits. So it's not that I disagreed with having them. I just thought that there, you know, there was no real simple answer to that question. And so maybe, Nick, if you'd be so kind as to enlighten us as to what your thoughts are, we could then, uh, you know, chime in. Thanks very much. And I'll give you the floor.
0: Sure. Thank you. Uh, Well, The American people have looked at the way Congress operates. They've looked at the way all government operates, and they have decided that we cannot allow uh, certain elected offices at all levels of government to become monopolized by one person who has accrued too much power and seniority uh, and becomes invincible at the ballot box. You see this in Congress. Congress has a 95% reelection rating, but only a 10% approval rating, because there is an epidemic of uncompetitive elections in Congress, and you see this with state lawmakers who have served for a very long time as well. Uh, in Florida, we enacted term limits in 1992 by citizen initiative, but prior to to that initiative, you had election cycles in which more than half. Of the Florida legislators on the ballot had their elections canceled because nobody was willing to run against them. Incumbents have incredible advantages. Uh, They have taxpayer funded staff that often act as campaign agents, press agents. They can send taxpayer funded mailers. They can increase their name ID with public service in a way that challengers can't match. And so the most talented people. In our society, often wait for open seat races before they vie for elected office, and term limits are the only way to generate those open seat races with a degree of regularity.
1: Let's let uh, Tom Jackson, you want to get in on this? Um, You and and Joe are familiar with the laws and what's going on in the state of Florida, and then we'll let Professor Alan Steinberg get to us, who just uh, had a class on this a little earlier in the day. So, Mr. Jackson, if you want to start us off, that'd be fine. Sure, sure.
3: Nick, I go I go back and forth on this because I have seen what has happened in Florida where we do, as you point out, we do have term limits. Um, my gripe with our term limits is that we seem to – we cast people out too doggone fast. Um, <laughs> We, we, we will have we have we will have an election coming up here uh, in, in a week, and we will elect new people to the Florida Legislature because we do have some open seats. And as soon as that class is elected, they, uh, assuming Republicans hang on to their majority, that incoming class of freshman Republicans will have to ad- identify who they want to be their speaker in eight in seven years. And that's and the the, the right. way that uh, the, the way that we go about our business now as a legislature, I, I I think that it it does indeed cause people to be promoted too doggone quickly, and also it allows uh, lobbyists to have a little bit more influence on the legislative uh, process than they ought to. Um, your thoughts about what the right number of terms is might re- if it's more than just four. Or two as a senator, that might
0: alleviate my my concerns a little bit. You know, my my ideal term limit is right at eight years. Uh, I think it's it's worked on the presidency. I think it strikes the right balance between uh, allowing for people to accrue experience while not letting them get entrenched and still letting new ideas and fresh perspectives creep into the process. And in Florida, term limits have, by and large, been a success. What you mentioned about people who angle for leadership positions prior to getting elected, I've seen that happen in other states as well, including states that don't have term limits. Occasionally, if you have a member of Congress who's an incredible uh, bundler, they will eye that person for speakership even before they get elected to Congress. And so in in Florida, though, staying on this example, term limits have largely been a success since they've been enacted – you know, if you're looking at it from sort of a fiscally conservative point of view, the uh, state appropriations as a percentage of gross uh, product that the state generates have gone down. Uh, government employment as a percentage of the population has gone down. School choice, which had been logjammed in the Florida legislature for a long time, was finally passed when we got term limits, and it was Jeb Bush who attributed that turnover – Uh, attributed school choice to the turnover. And so I think it's been a success here. I do think eight is enough. I would not uh, go any longer than that. But I think most Americans agree that you have to draw the line somewhere. You can't just let people be permanent incumbents who are allowed to monopolize the seat indefinitely.
1: Joe Henderson, any questions for Nick Tombolitis, the uh, uh, executive director of Term Limits uh, U.S.?
2: Nick, um, I will respectfully disagree with you. on a couple of points, uh, you brought up about how um, the uh, one of the arguments for um, incorporating term limits was that uh, so many seats were going unchallenged. Uh, but this year in the Florida House, uh, there are more than half the seats. There are 63 out of 120 overall are are unchallenged in this. Uh, election. And what I come down on the side of, we do have term limits and they're called an election. And if people want somebody else to be elected, um, if they're happy with the incumbent, what, you know, what business is it of anybody to tell them, well, no, you can't vote for that person because they've been there too long. I think, I just think, that what happens when you when you begin to churn uh as as term limits do i'm i'm going to agree with my colleague tom i think you lose institutional memory i think you lose process and i do think that younger members come in and they are more likely to be spun by the by the tallahassee machine if you will than uh that somebody who's been around the block a few times no system is perfect but the system that we have, that I endorse, is called an election, and with that we have, in effect, term limits.
0: Well, I, I just I would disagree in the sense that I don't think
2: an election
0: uh, can really be democratic if it's if it's uncontested, if it's played by um, an epidemic level of uh, non-competitiveness. There's an there's a group that looks at money in state politics, and they also look at electoral competitiveness. It's the Institute on Money and State Politics. They looked at states and which percentage of legislative elections are contested every two years, and they found that the states with term limits had a far higher likelihood of having their elections contested. And they also found that the state with the strongest term limits, which is Michigan, they have a six-year house term limit an eight year Senate term limit was the only state in the country that had one hundred percent of its elections contested. And so, you know, to, to make the argument from wanting more choice, wanting democracy, that only works when you when you actually provide voters choices. It only works when the voters have plenty of options on the ballot. And term limits have been shown to increase the number of candidates running for office in this case. And so well, I don't think you want I don't think you want elections to look like a Soviet grocery store where you only have one or two options. You want many candidates from a wide uh, diversity of background to make that election meaningful.
2: Well, I would agree with you on that point, except the numbers in Florida this year, uh, as I stated, are more than than half the seats in the uh, Florida House representatives are unopposed, and so voters in those districts have no choice and i would further argue um, respectfully that it's less about term limits and more about gerrymandering which is how these you know people build uh, in these non-competitive districts the courts are trying to address that um, and you know that to me is a greater problem than term limits
0: i would agree that gerrymandering is is a problem But getting rid of of gerrymandering in and of itself doesn't really solve the problem. I mean if you look at what happened to the uh, Bill Young seat out there in Pinellas County, Bill Young was winning that seat by 20, 30 points even though the district had gone Democrat. Even though it had been – not gerrymandered, but even though it had been districted against his party, he still kept winning that seat because he was such a powerful incumbent. And the second he left that seat, you saw that it returned to being a competitive election. So I think absolutely you need to fix gerrymandering, and it's got to be part of an all-of-the-above strategy to make your elections meaningful, make them competitive again. But I think term limits should be a part of that puzzle, and this is what the American people think. I mean they've looked at the way Congress functions, and they've concluded that we do need more churn. We do need more rotation in office. This is the most popular and the most bipartisan political issue in the country got seventy five percent support from Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. So, you know, if you think that the people have a right to choose, do they only get to choose between two candidates or do they also get to choose uh the parameters that govern elected office and one of one of which is term limits.
1: Nick, uh how about Alan Steinberg? Alan? Yes, uh good afternoon, uh Nick. And uh
4: I just want to say uh Nick that uh, I admired your argument. And I'm not out to refute it, but I am out to explain why you will not get backing for term limits in New Jersey. Uh, We have had eminent members of the the House of Representatives, but we don't have initiative. In fact, that was my discussion with my class yesterday as to whether New Jersey should uh, enact initiative. We have referenda, but it has to be passed by the state legislature. Uh, But having said that to you, uh, we have a situation in New Jersey where we've had Two really great members of the House of Representatives, uh, and they derive their greatness from their longevity. Uh, One is a very dear friend of mine, Rodney Freeland He is a Republican from Morris County, and he will probably, if the Republicans keep the House of Representatives, uh, be the next Appropriations Chair. And he has tremendous expertise. He knows every line of the budget. I worked with him years ago when he was the uh, State Assembly Uh, appropriations chair. He's just a genius in in terms of uh, state legislative process, federal process, and uh, expenditure, and uh, he got that way because of you. He got his expertise from the years of experience, and because he had that experience, he was able to effectively represent New Jersey when we needed certain federal grants and expenditure. The other example is someone I'm sure you're familiar with. He was the former chair of the uh, House Judiciary Committee His name was Peter uh, Rodino, and he was the uh, chair of the House Judiciary Committee for the impeachment of Richard Nixon. And again, he derived his expertise, his knowledge of procedure because of years of experience. So you'll get reluctance here because in New Jersey, experience and multi-term experience is viewed as a way of legislators getting uh, members of the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate, for that matter, getting both prestige experience and stature that enables them to deliver to the state
0: right well you know one thing that we we uh, address right off the bat is that we're not doubting that there are some some great congressmen out there but are they more the exception or are they the rule and if you look at the country's fiscal situation the fact that we are You know dangling off a fiscal cliff at this point and have stratospheric levels of debt most people would conclude that Congress on balance the whole Congress not one or two members have not um, lived up to their oaths that they haven't done a good job and this constant emphasis on reelection reelection and permanent incumbency in Congress is the North Star I mean it's the guiding light by which all other decisions are measured that's why we have such a complex tax code because you have tax, taxes that are sunsetting every few years uh, so that lobbyists can pay the members to put loopholes and deductions in the tax code and then take them out again. And so there's a reluctance, I think, on the part of Congress to address big, pressing issues uh, because they know that it might, not be un- it might not be popular at the ballot box. And so term limits would also give Congress members the independence to tackle some very huge issues like entitlements and debt. I think that's very important, but we're not denying that some of the members who are in office now are are experts. And in fact, you'll see that whether you have term limits or not, a majority of members of Congress or close to half members of Congress uh, will have experience legislatively before they get to Congress. And so those folks who understand legislative procedure and understand public finance are able to take the lead in those committees.
1: Nick, I have a quick question for you, and that has to do with getting reelected. Um, part of the problem of being in um, a congressperson for a short period of time is the fact that once you get to Washington, after the first year you're here, you're automatically starting your second uh, opportunity to try to you know, get enough money to run for a second term. How do you square that with um you know with the opportunity to do you enact term limits?
0: You know, there are a lot of people who think that the uh, the length of a term should be changed, and that, that's not an issue on which we take a position. I mean we have lots of folks in our organization who um who think it should be lengthened, think it's fine at, at two years. It's important to remember that the founders did intend for the house to be closer to the people and so you'd have uh it be more democratized more rapid turnover they're supposed to be held accountable more often you know the average tenure in in the house of representatives didn't even go above 4 years until the year 1900 and so for the majority of this country's existence uh this has not been uh, a haven for career politicians it's been a citizen legislature and so I think term limits, especially toward the end of a term, would give them more independence in the sense they didn't have to worry about being reelected again. They wouldn't have to worry about cultivating this image as somebody who deserves to be reelected, which may involve kicking important issues down the road.
1: Okay. Nick Tombalis, who has joined us here on the Politically Incorrect podcast, he is the executive director of US term limits. Nick, if you could please tell us how folks can get in touch with you and uh, find out more about what you're doing in your fine organization.
0: Sure, if people want to get involved and uh, volunteer for term limits on Congress, the way to do it is acting through the state legislatures because the Supreme Court ruled in 1995 that term limits can only be done by amendment to the federal constitution. The only two ways to do that are having Congress propose the amendment or having state legislators do it, and we all know Congress is not likely to propose the amendment. That would be like getting chickens to vote for Colonel Sanders. So we have to pressure our state legislators to get to get it done. Florida was the first state this year, the Florida House and the Florida Senate, to pass a resolution for the term limits convention, which allows states to cooperate. Uh, Once you get 34 state legislatures to pass this resolution. They can cooperate. They can write an amendment for congressional term limits. They do an end run around Congress, so Congress can't veto it, and then it comes back to the states to be ratified. And if people would like to volunteer for that, go to www.termlimits.org, termlimits.org.
1: Nick, thank you very much for your time and your consideration today. We've enjoyed it. Anybody have any final questions for Nick before we let him go? What did you think you-
3: Nick, Tom Jackson? What did you think of – uh Donald Trump jumping on board
0: on this latest campaign. I I thought it was great um, because you know the the president has no official role in amending the Constitution. It's it's done by either Congress or the states, like I said. But the president Mm -hmm. can provide a pulpit that those of us in the term limits movement think would be critical to get this amendment over the top. And so we're excited that he's talking about it, and we hope that. Hillary Clinton and, and others talk about it too because it's not just Republicans who support this. Like I said, this is a supermajority issue with Democrats too. And so Hillary Clinton is missing a huge opportunity if she's not talking about it as well.
1: Joe, any final what? questions?
2: No, no, I uh, I appreciate you coming on. You raise interesting uh, perspective. Um, even if I don't completely agree with it, I'm happy to talk about it, and uh, I appreciate your, uh, your contribution.
1: Once again, Nick, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, we're going to move on because at this juncture, that was our pleasure, and you're welcome to stay if you like, but if you want to leave, that's cool too. Alan Steinberg uh, has a concept which is uh, which is interesting, and it has to do with Anthony Weiner and what might be going on in the latest. Uh, situation with regard to the email so let me uh, let me let Alan talk about this Alan
4: okay let me tell you about
1: a uh, personal war that I
4: had with Anthony Wiener when I was uh, the administrator of region 2 EPA Wiener is a very bad guy now he had been an aide to Chuck Schumer uh, who is a gentleman a decent chap I had ideological disagreements with Chuck Schumer but never anything personal But Wiener became a congressman from Brooklyn, and I came into conflict with him in the year 2006. What he was doing at that time, New York politicians were jumping over each other uh, to try to uh, show some action regarding the Exxon Mobil oil spill and the needed cleanup in the Brooklyn area. So he had sponsored a rider to legislation, and this rider would have required EPA to do a – a cleanup study within 30 days. Well, I called him on the phone, and I explained to him that couldn't be done because it would be a shoddy study within 30 days. He said, well, do what you can. So I reassigned staff. I got the study done in 45 days, and he called me screaming and yelling abusively. He's an abusive lowlife, this guy. He's uh, screaming and yelling at me how I didn't respect congressional mandates. And I lost my temper, and I used some profound profanity in telling him what he could do to himself. And uh, my staff, who was sitting in a room, they all seemed to want to uh, jump under the chairs at that point. But it became a legend and was a story told at my retirement party. But in any event, Wiener is a bad character and is uh, divorced. And I knew Huma Abedin, by the way. I I used to deal with Hillary a lot. I like Huma, but she's not really. She was more the body woman of Hillary, coming to places, getting things done. I don't think she was a huge influence on her, Uh, but in any event, uh, they married, and uh, it's an ugly divorce, and Anthony Weiner now is in trouble for texting of pornography, and I have a suspicion, I don't have any evidence of this, I I have a suspicion that he's trying to cut a plea bargain with uh, federal law enforcement officials, with the Department of Justice, and he has directed them uh, to Yuma's uh, computer. now. My gut is telling me, my gut is usually right, but it's often wrong, too. I don't think they're going to find any emails of Hillary Clinton that weren't duplicated within the emails they found. It isn't like Yuma was the only person she was talking to, and it's going to be quite a deal to deal with 600,000 emails, uh, 650. But I think that Wiener is telling them, you got to look, you got to look. And so Anthony Wiener, who used to be an acolyte of the Clintons, is – now trying to play a role in their uh, destruction. Uh, by the way, if I can say one quick thing about the election, and then I'll keep quiet. Uh, I, know, I I was talking at length today with Patrick Murray. Patrick Murray is the best pollster in America. He's in charge of the Monmouth poll, and they're getting a lot of good publicity this election. He's always on CNN or Fox or MSNBC, and Patrick made this point to me. Uh, he said, well, first of all, He didn't give the – he's not a believer in tracking polls because the sample is small and you can't call people back in the same night. Uh, But uh, he said that uh, there is a narrowing nationwide of popularity between the popular vote between uh, Trump and Clinton, but most of the improvement in in, uh, Trump, in fact the overwhelming amount, is in states where he's already ahead anyway. Uh, In the battleground states, if you look at the polls, they're not varying at all since the Comey incident. So if Hillary holds on, she needs to hold on to six states, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, New uh, New Hampshire, Colorado, Pennsylvania, and, and uh, Virginia. If she wins those six states, she wins the election. And if she wins North Carolina, she can afford to lose one of those six states as long as it's not Pennsylvania. So it's not in a bag, okay, and Trump could uh, win this thing from her. Uh, But she does have a big advantage. But I'll close with this. If this election ends up with Hillary winning the electoral vote and Trump winning the popular vote, you are going to see Trump go out there and talk about how rigged the system is. He will just go nuts on this for a month, not uh, paying attention to the fact that it was uh, prescribed by the founding fathers in the Constitution. But it will give me new regard for Al Gore, who never engaged in that kind of behavior.
1: Okay, thanks, Alan. Uh, Joe, you got some uh, updated information from Nate Silver. What's going on?
2: Yeah, uh, in fact, I was just looking at that. Uh, He has uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, and this was within the last hour, um, uh, was still a 72% chance overall of winning. He has her with uh, 304 electoral votes, uh, winning 40, almost 49% of the popular vote. Uh, what's interesting too is that he also uh, is forecasting a pretty solid uh, Democratic win in the Senate and uh, picking up anywhere from uh, five to seven seats. So it's starting to look, from the numbers, like like Hillary may may weather the storm, uh, mm. but there's there's still a week to go, and we have no idea. One of the bombshells might be out there. So uh, the good news is, and, and I'm sure Tom will agree with me on this, is a lot of people have already voted early. Right, Tom? Yeah, people who don't care if, there's, uh, if, <laughs> if their vote is fully informed
3: have already uh, have already cast those ballots. Those of us who want to know all that is knowable before we vote are <laughs> waiting to see what else is out there.
1: Well, hey, Alan, I, I have a question for you. Do you vote on – voting day, election day, or do you vote early or do you vote absentee? Cuz uh, we have a we have a situation here that happened last week and that was that Joe talked about the fact that he enjoys the opportunity to vote early and Tom is a traditionalist who likes to vote on election day. Which do you uh prefer to do? You you talking to me? Yeah.
4: We're talking to you.
1: Oh. We're talking oh, okay. to you. Uh-
4: Okay, it's out Clint Eastwood in the movie Every Which Way But Loose. talking to me Talking to you (laughs) I prefer to vote on Election Day Basically because I'm so busy Uh, I'm having the busiest retirement Of any person I know And I'm so busy during the week uh, You know, with all the things I'm doing That I prefer to uh, reserve I always know how I'm going to vote early Except in some races I prefer to vote on Election Day itself uh, because it's kind of a day where I relax. I have lunch with political friends. We talk about what's going to happen that night. But given the closeness of this election, I think my lunch is going to uh, be a scene of great anxiety this year.
1: So there, Tom, you've got a fellow uh, a fellow voter who votes on uh, election days just like you.
3: I'm not at all surprised. How did, Alan, how do your friends in New York deal with the fact that you can only vote on Election Day, and if you want to get an absentee ballot, you have to have an excuse? How do they deal with such an archaic way of doing elections?
4: I think they would prefer to have the option of early voting. Uh, don't forget that a lot of people in New York and New Jersey are like me, uh, having relatives in Florida, they hear about early voting, they say, boy, that sounds great, uh, I can do the vote, and I'm just uh, I won't be in long lines on Election Day. I have a feeling the lines on Election Day this year are going to uh, go from here to Tahiti. Uh, So you may get more backing uh, and more of an urgency to get behind the cause of early voting uh, because of the election this year. So they prefer to have the option, Tom.
2: But they deal, don't they? Yep. Tom Tom would prefer that people don't have
1: an option uh, in the name (laughs) of
0: freedom, right, Tom? That's right.
3: That's right. (laughs)
1: you know i am sorry I voted absentee I feel badly uh, at this point they call it
3: exercising uh, your they call it exercising your franchise for a reason
1: I made my own of,
3: there's a little bit of I, a little uh, bit of vigor involved here I, I made my <laughs>
1: own I voted tag so uh, you know just just to feel as if I'm part of the group um, by the by the way Tom uh, just uh, for the
2: record I did check online today to make sure that my mail ballot made it, and it, it has been received at the Supervisor of Elections Office and, and will be counted. So I know that puts your mind at ease. What oh, is boy, it I'll, the... I'll,
3: I'll, I'll sleep well tonight. There you go.
1: <laughs> it, I counted, I checked out the, um, the daily count of what's going on, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, the Republicans in the early voting are up by about 15,000. Is that uh, correct at this point? It's, what I yeah, saw this I don't morning
3: know. was more like more like sixty thousand, but I haven't I haven't seen anything updated today.
1: Okay, so not that that it's kind sort of going back and forth. It's just interesting. Yeah,
3: yeah. What, what I read is that Democrats are doing a better job uh, in early voting of getting reluctant or uh, only occasional voters uh, to go and vote now. Um, they lead Republicans in that by something
1: like 70,000 votes. Let me ask all of you, and Alan, of course, you're involved in this as well. Uh, being that's the, that both well, – we, we'll take Pennsylvania, Ohio, and, um, and, of course, Florida. We'll start with Florida. Um, do you think that the ground game that the Democrats have in those three states will – you know, will be able to be enough to uh, to get Clinton uh, a win in all three states, or is, is there going to be a problem with that? We'll start with Florida, and then Alan will come back to you when we get to Pennsylvania. Tom. Well, um, uh, okay. Joe, Tom, Tom, Joe. No,
2: go ahead, Joe. No, I uh, was just going to say that. I, the the Florida ground game for the democrats is- is impressive now there is there are signs that that uh the trump uh advocates have picked up their game in in recent weeks um that they're a little bit more active out there on the scene but uh i think it it's fair to say um that the ground game made a difference uh certainly in in uh, Barack obama's uh Taking Florida the last two years last in two in twenty twelve it was close what was a couple of points right tom one yeah. point maybe yeah and um I think the ground game did make the difference there now what what we're hearing is that uh even with that that the Clinton campaign has been uh a little sluggish in getting out the african american vote uh behind in the early voting behind uh Hillary Clinton and you know what I mean Florida's going to be razor thin one way or the other and that that could make a difference
1: Tom thoughts?
3: I have I have um essentially nothing to add to that I I do know that uh, uh certainly Trump does not have nearly the presence uh in Florida that uh the the Clinton campaign does however uh an awful lot of the local RNC Republican offices are picking up the slack and are and are really they are they're doing the hustling that I didn't see them do four years ago when they thought their turnout, their their get out the vote uh operation was going to at least match the Obama operation. Uh I, I see enthusiasm from them that I didn't see four years ago. Um and whether that makes a difference I don't know I mean early voting shows a slight uptick for 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 the GOP mm-hmm. um but but what they but what they are doing more than republic more than democrats are doing is cannibalizing traditional uh election day voters so mm-hmm. I mean they they may be firing their wad early I I just don't know
1: You still think it's a jump ball in the state I do I do yeah yeah, okay. I,
2: I would agree with I would agree with that. It's Florida, uh, you know. To quote the great Tim Russert, "Florida, Florida, Florida." Mm-hmm. It's it's the melting pot, and uh, what, what's interesting about that is that uh, Chuck Todd recently, uh, University uh, of Miami uh, graduate, yes, indeed. And in one in one of his shows um, uh, had a, had a gentleman on there who labeled Hillsborough County, which is Tampa, right um as the number one swing county in the country uh in terms of its its uh, being a bellwether and looking at the data there the uh, the great push in hillsborough is for the uh, no party affiliated folks democrats have a, a a fairly substantial lead in the number of registered voters but out of 850,000 voters in hillsborough county uh, about 250,000 have no party affiliation and as as one of those folks I can promise you that both my mailbox and my telephone uh have been working overtime uh during this this period with helpful calls from uh, you know people trying to to persuade me to see their way yes, yes. yes. Yeah. and uh, mercifully, that has begun to drop off ever since uh, it got out there that uh, my vote has been cast oh, and that has go. been recorded in the uh, Supervisor of Elections office. So yet another benefit to voting early.
1: There you go,
2: add em up. You know, we did we we didn't talk about this with Nick, but uh,
3: one of the great advantages for incumbents
0: is is early
3: voting because they have the money to generally speaking incumbents have more money to to make sure to to make sure that they're doing get out the vote every day of early voting and people who are running upstart outsider campaigns don't usually have that sort of money and so they benefit in in contests that are decided around election day so just something to think about when you uh, when you praise early voting and uh, and condemn the advantage incumbents have for holding office.
1: Alan, Uh, I know you have family in the wonderful um, environs of um, the Philadelphia suburbs down there. What are you hearing about Pennsylvania? Is it it close or is this going to be a Clinton win in Pennsylvania?
4: Pennsylvania is the ultimate ground game state because you have populations in Pennsylvania of people who live very close to one another in contiguous areas. And the name of the ground game is Philadelphia and the African American community. I'm really amazed. And when I look at the polling in this election, how negative the, uh, I'm not saying it's not warranted, but the negative feelings of the African American community towards Donald Trump exceed those of the uh, Hispanic communities. It's unbelievable. And a large African American turnout in Philadelphia absolutely uh, dooms any possibility of a Trump victory. So the ground game there is. Uh, critical. Uh, just looking at it as an outsider, I don't have the expertise that uh Messrs uh Henderson and Jackson I, don't know, I think Ohio's gonna go for Trump. Uh but if uh if uh, uh if Hillary Clinton carries Pennsylvania and the other five states I mentioned plus North Carolina, she doesn't need either uh nor, either Ohio or Florida. That's the interesting thing about this election.
1: It's a strange one, and it's only a week away. So, guys, final thoughts and um, and social media. We'll start with um, Alan. You just uh, finished, so we'll let you we'll let you close it. Um, go ahead and the, give us your final thought for the the day and uh, and your social media.
4: The big fun I've had all weekend is how great this World Series. I'm serious. Is for baseball. You had the TV ratings. Uh, for the Sunday night game between the Cubs and the Indians, vastly exceed that of Monday night football. I mean, Sunday night football. Football suffering for a lot of reasons in the ratings now. I think this World Series uh, having, is impacting America in a very good way. It's the ultimate for the comeback of baseball. And tonight, I will be singing the song Go, Cubs, go, go, Cubs, go. And that's it.
1: All right. Your social media, real quick, Alan. How can people get in touch yeah. with you?
4: uh alan joel steinberg the name my folks gave me and my twitter account is at a steinberg 613 it doesn't have go cubs go
1: all right (laughs) (laughs) joe henderson final thoughts on social media well uh,
2: as i await uh the second major sports championship of this calendar year in the great city of cleveland in the great state of ohio um, I will be uh, kind of keeping an eye on the election with um with with a, with a story that is is not really getting a lot of traction yet but it it could explode if somebody if if there's an investigative reporter out there doing uh digging in deep to the Russian connection between the Trump uh with, with the Trump campaign uh the democrats are trying to make that stick and uh there is at least a little smoke there uh, whether there's fire whether they can they can bring that out with a week to go i don't know but it's it's worth keeping an eye on that because uh you know that if there's a way to break that story that uh, somebody's going to do it
1: okay and your social media real quick joe
2: yeah you can find me on uh facebook at Joe Henderson Commentary Columns and such, or uh, if you wanna follow me on Twitter, I am at jhendersontampa,
1: T-A-M-P-A. And closing it out, the pride of Pasco County, Tom Jackson.
3: The Hillary Clinton uh, operatives and campaign are under five separate FBI investigations right now. In little Rock they're investigating investigating stuff in New York they're investigating stuff in Washington they're investigating stuff having to do with emails and the and the uh and the foundation all kinds of nonsense going on with the clinton foundation and and the Clintons in general um and yet we're mad at Jim Comey for keeping his word to Congress that if anything new came to light on the Clinton emails that he would let them know straight away uh This is what happens when Democrats plow the field for somebody who is under investigation by the FBI. You should not be shocked in the last week of the campaign that maybe more news from the FBI is going to come out. Because what what the Wall Street Journal reported about that yesterday was there was about to be an outright rebellion against James Comey uh, if he didn't continue to proceed on all these fronts. Um, Leaks were going to start coming out. It was about to be a nasty bit of business uh, for the FBI, which – and I think Comey is desperate to uh, retain the Bureau's uh, sense of integrity. So um, we've got that going. And and speaking of the FBI, you know what? I don't know about the New York York Times journalists, if they're still doing a great job. But today they had two stories that said the FBI has been looking into that that uh, Kremlin-Trump connection for six months. And they just can't find any smoking gun. Um, and also they learned that uh, Donald Trump filed his, his taxes uh, using current laws legally. So fascinating turns of event for, for this week in campaigning. My social media would happen to be uh, Tom Jackson, journalist, entrepreneur on Facebook. And you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Thomas Jacks Tampa, T-H-O-M-A-S. J-A-X, Tampa.
1: And uh, you can read all three of these gentlemen's work, fine work, I might add, uh, at NewstalkFlorida.com. You can follow me at uh, N-T-F-L-A underscore politics. That's N-T-F-L-A underscore politics. You can watch some fun Facebook Live stuff that we're going to be doing coming up on Newstalk Florida at our Facebook page. And so I encourage you all to get there. You know, Tom, uh, to your point uh, about the five investigations, uh, John Podesta would say it's not as bad as six. So and and (laughs) with regard to the and with regard to the situation with, you know, on the FBI, they don't have enough people to look because they're spending so much time reading 650,000 emails. So how could they possibly find something going on in Russia? So, um, you know, just saying and. uh, to to coin a Joe Henderson phrase, not for nothing. You never know. Uh-oh. Anyway, <laughs> thanks. Of course, you love me. that phrase. I do. I don't know what it is. It's it's so. You know what it is? It's spurrier to me. I don't know why. Not for nothing. Well, anyway, now, now,
3: so, you, you, so you you bring that up, and what? uh, Walking Andahar, the former Houston Astros, oh uh, yeah, I know, was 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 the one who said. It was in the middle of the World Series, and somebody asked him uh, what was going to happen the next day, and Joaquin says, you have this wonderful word in America, this wonderful English word, you never know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I remember. I think I was there for that. (laughs) Walking in the rain. Okay, yes, all right. Anyway. We uh, can't top that So on that cheery note. (laughs) No, no, let's go quickly off into the night. Get us out of Uh, here. Get us out here, ladies and gentlemen. For this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast, I'm Jim Williamson. Which one, Jim.
3: Which which one? Which one? Which podcast was this? What What did I say?
1: Okay, pardon me. For this edition of the Politically (laughs) Incorrect podcast, not to be confused with any other podcast, um, I want to thank Tom Jackson, Joe Henderson, and uh, out at the uh, train station, Alan Steinberg, for joining us today. And, of course, uh, Nick Talabitas, who was with us talking, of course, from uh, the U.S. Term Limits Group. He's the executive uh, director out there. You can catch him uh, on Google and just look up uh, U.S. Term Limits Executive Director Nick Tolavitas. So anyway, thanks to him for joining us, and thanks for you for joining us as well. And I uh, hope you had a good time, and we will catch you next time on this edition of the Politically Incorrect podcast